coming up. Sophie was murdered on the campus of the University of Alaska, University of Alaska Fairbanks, almost 26 years ago. This arrest is the culmination of years of effort and tenacious attention by this department to solve a horrendous murder. For Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. And I'm Will Johnson. You're listening to The Daily Crime. A man from Maine has been convicted and sentenced in the murder of a 20-year-old woman in Alaska almost 30 years ago. There's no evidence this was any sort of premeditated uh, offense. He was an alienated 18-year-old who was in some sort of state of mind that obviously led to this horrible, horrible crime. And in Austin, Texas, a former sheriff's deputy has pleaded guilty to capital murder. I just don't want Amanda and Amanda to be forgotten because she was a, she was like a ray of sunshine. She really was. Even if I never even saw her for a long time, and it was like, hey, at the end, and hugging and loving. And, and then Alyssa, too. Alyssa was always just lovable. She may not ever see you, but she would just come up and hug you. 20-year-old Sophie Sergi was murdered in Alaska nearly 30 years ago. Will, take us through what all happened back in 1993. Reed, Sophie Sergi was visiting a friend at the University of Alaska Fairbanks back in 1993 when she was raped, shot in the back of the head, and stabbed, according to investigators. So just, just a really awful murder. Her body was found in a bathtub in a dorm at the university. Sophie was later described by prosecutors as a young, vibrant woman, and her murder had a huge impact on her family and the Fairbanks community. There were no arrests at the time, and the case went unsolved, but they did collect DNA from the crime scene. And decades later, that DNA would play a pivotal role in leading investigators to a suspect. Tell us about that. Yeah, that's right. After almost 26 years, police were able to get a partial DNA match That DNA led them to a 44-year-old man named Stephen Downs living in Augusta, Maine. Investigators say Downs' aunt living in Vermont had submitted her DNA to a genealogical site, and it was a partial match to the DNA from the crime scene. They honed in on Stephen Downs and paid him a visit at a hotel in Augusta where he was staying and were able to get another sample of his DNA. It came back as a match, and they were able to make an arrest in February of 2019. It is with incredible mixed emotions that I make today's announcement. Earlier today, February 15th at 1 p.m. in the town of Auburn, Maine, members of the Alaska State Troopers, Alaska Bureau of Investigation and Cold Case Investigation Unit, with the assistance of the Maine State Police and the Auburn Police Department, made an arrest regarding the 1993 murder of 20-year-old Sophie Sergi. So Will, what else can you tell us about this man, Stephen Downs? Neighbors told News Center Maine that he was oddly quiet. He lived alone with his dogs and didn't talk much to anyone. He was from Augusta. He grew up there. He ran cross-country and track in high school before then going to college in Alaska. He returned to Maine after college and later worked as a registered nurse for a few years. There were actually two incidents when he was working as a registered nurse in 2016 and 2017 where co-workers said that he made statements or acted in ways that made them feel uncomfortable. He was later fired for substandard performance, and he was unemployed at the time of his arrest in 2019. Following his arrest, he was held behind bars in Maine, and he fought extradition. Here's coverage of that extradition hearing from New Center, Maine, back in 2019. Walking into Lewiston District Court in shackles and chains, Stephen Harris Downs appears before Judge John Martin as a fugitive of justice, accused of a crime outside of the state. 
According to court documents filed in Alaska, Downs had no criminal record leading up to the day in 1993 when Sophie Sergi, visiting friends at the University of Alaska Fairbanks, was found dead in a dorm bathroom, one floor below where Downs, a student at UAF, lived. Well, he's contesting. He doesn't want to go back to Alaska. He doesn't feel like he should have to go back to Alaska. And he feels like he's innocent of the allegations. Downs eventually lost that battle and was extradited back to Alaska in 2019. When does his murder case then eventually go to trial? Early this year in January, Downs finally went on trial. His attorneys maintained before the trial, during the trial, even after the trial, that there were issues with the prosecution's case. We've seen all kinds of problems with the DNA collection uh, evidence. There was a huge botched uh, crime scene. Uh, some 19 students were at the crime scene before the police even arrived. Uh, there are problems with the, the testing of the DNA evidence that occurred two months later uh, at the Alaska Crime Lab. So we really have some serious, serious questions. Despite those objections, Downs, now 47 years old, was convicted on February 10th of this year. His attorney planned to fight the verdict, claiming the prosecution engaged in serious misconduct, perjured testimony, and other wrongful behavior that justifies vacating or dismissing the conviction or granting a new trial. However, he was convicted, and finally, just this month, Stephen Downs was sentenced in an Alaska courtroom. It's been almost 29 years since 20-year-old Sophie Sergi was raped and murdered in Fairbanks, Alaska. Tonight, the main man charged in connection to those crimes all these years later was sentenced. Tonight, a judge ordered Stephen Downs to spend 75 years in prison. Prosecutors making their final argument tonight in an Alaska courtroom that the murder had a lasting impact. In the life of another person, really a young, vibrant woman like Sophie, so far beyond the realm of anything that's acceptable in a society, and then to do that to a stranger while simultaneously stripping her any bodily autonomy that she has, forcing sex on her at gunpoint and knife point. His attorneys still plan to appeal. He could also be granted parole in as few as 25 years. The second story we're looking at today comes to us from our partner station, KVU in Austin, Texas. Reed, let's start with the background of this case. What happened back in April of 2021? So, Will, this all started with a 911 call. It was on April 18th of 2021 at around 11.42 a.m. Officers arrived on scene minutes later, and as KVU reported, it was an awful scene. There were two vehicles that it looked like had gotten into a crash, and lying near those vehicles were three victims, all of whom had suffered gunshot wounds. First responders performed CPR, but all three of those victims did end up dying from their injuries. They were eventually identified as Amanda Broderick, Amanda's teenage daughter, Alyssa Broderick, and Alyssa's boyfriend, Willie Simmons III. But by the time police showed up to that scene, the shooter, whoever killed them, was gone. Reed, before we get into the investigation, what else can you tell us about those three victims? Well, by all accounts, the two younger victims, Willie Simmons III and Alyssa Broderick, were promising young individuals. KV reported that Willie was a high school senior and his school district put out a statement saying he was an exceptional young man, a leader among his peers. He was captain of the school's football team, and he'd actually been recruited to play in college at the University of North Texas. Alyssa, Willie's girlfriend, was also in high school. She was also a student athlete. One of her teammates told KVU's Marie Salazar, if she were to describe Alyssa in one word, it would be funny. 
Her basketball coach remembered her as talented, tough, coachable, and kind-hearted and said she was always the first to welcome a new girl on the team. And then Alyssa's mom, the third victim, Amanda Broderick, worked as a nurse. And those who knew her told KVU she was a good, supportive mother. A coworker put together a GoFundMe campaign and in that campaign described her as an amazing nurse, an amazing mother, and an amazing person. Reed, walk us through the investigation. What happened after police arrived on the scene? As I mentioned, the killer was gone at that point. So police put out a shelter-in-place order to some of the surrounding areas for much of that day. But within hours, they identified a suspect, Amanda's ex-husband, 41-year-old Stephen Broderick. Police by that point had learned that Amanda and Stephen Broderick were meeting that day for a scheduled visit with their son when the crash and the shooting happened. Now, court documents state it all happened during a planned supervised visit with Broderick's son. When Broderick drove up, rammed his ex-wife's car, shot his ex-wife Amanda Broderick, his daughter Alyssa Broderick, and Alyssa's boyfriend Willie Simmons III, then walked away. So there was a manhunt throughout the rest of that day. It was a Sunday. And then the following morning, police received reports of a man who looked like Stephen Broderick walking along a highway in Manor, Texas, which was about 20 miles away from the scene where the shooting happened. Police showed up. They found Stephen Broderick and arrested him. They said that he had a loaded pistol on him at the time of the arrest. And then Broderick was indicted on a charge of capital murder of multiple persons. And Stephen Broderick, as it turns out, is someone who was familiar to the Travis County Sheriff's Office. Yeah, that's right. He was a former deputy with that department. Now, KVU looked into Broderick's background and they discovered that this wasn't actually the first violent accusation against him. Alyssa Broderick, Amanda Broderick's daughter, one of the three victims, had accused Stephen Broderick in the past of sexually assaulting her. And in June of 2020, Broderick had been arrested and charged with sexual assault of a child. According to Travis County records, Broderick was charged with sexual assault of a child in June 2020. And his daughter, Alyssa, was named as one of his victims. Broderick bonded out of jail a few days after his arrest and resigned from the Travis County Sheriff's Office. Less than a year later, police say Broderick committed the murders. When Broderick was released from jail that June, he had to wear an ankle monitor, but at some point between then and when the shooting happened in April of 2021, the monitor was taken off, which is apparently pretty typical when someone complies with wearing an ankle monitor for a few months. Later on that summer, Amanda Broderick actually applied for a protective order, saying that she was worried for her children's safety. The protective order was approved in August of 2020, and that same month, Amanda and Stephen Broderick were divorced, and then it's about eight months later that the shooting happened. And the latest news here is that Stephen Broderick has pleaded guilty in this case. That was just earlier this month. What have you learned about the plea agreement? I spoke with reporter Thumbi Verma, who covered this case for KVU. Here's what she told me about the plea deal. He got sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Um, because it's capital murder, he could have gotten the death penalty, but because he took a plea deal... He is not going to be getting the death penalty. So will prosecutors agreed to waive the death penalty in exchange for Broderick agreeing to a sentence of life without parole? A couple other components of the deal. Prosecutors dropped the sexual abuse charges that Broderick was facing, and the judge actually waived Broderick's right to appeal the case. Reed, how did family members of the three victims in this case react to news of the plea agreement? That's something else that I spoke with Thumbi Verma about, and she said... Family members of Alyssa Broderick's weren't happy with the terms of the deal, particularly the sexual abuse charges being dropped. They were devastated. Um, they were devastated because there were 12 counts of sexual assault of a minor um, that the court dismissed 
Um, and they say that Alyssa was sexually assaulted by um, Broderick and that they think that this whole thing happened because Broderick was upset that Alyssa and her mom uh, reported it. That is what they say, of course. Um, and so they think that this whole thing wouldn't have even happened had it not been for all of the assault. So they wanted the court to acknowledge the assaults. But say that it's a sexual assault, like acknowledge it. They wouldn't acknowledge it. Thumby said she also spoke to family members of Willie Simmons III. Simmons' aunt said that she thought that more needed to be done, and this is a quote, because that'll scare people with sexual assault from speaking up and speaking their truth, end quote. Thumby also told me some members of Simmons' family told her that they didn't agree with the death penalty being taken off of the table as part of the deal. But again, the plea deal was accepted by both sides. And again, part of that deal was that Broderick won't be able to appeal his case. All right, Reed, thanks for bringing us this story. And also thanks to Thunvi Verma at KVU in Austin, Texas, and our friends at New Center, Maine in Portland, Maine. For The Daily Crime, along with Reed Redman, I'm Will Johnson. <laughs>